We're not through. We still have a second part, so. Unless you're hoping you want to leave that something else. Should we begin, Shantel? Alhamdulillah. I think we did three paragraphs, right? So we're, we're very far behind. So it's okay, but the important thing is to understand what we've said again. Um, so now let's start with paragraph four. Now in paragraph four, the author, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, rahmatullahi alayhi, uh, continues to this discussion which he started back in, in paragraph 1 which he's talking about Allah okay and he says that um, belonging unto Allah belonging unto Allah is the most beautiful its name and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the exalted attributes indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in his uh, book has mentioned that belonging unto him are the most beautiful names. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah 7, Surah 7, 180, Ayah 180, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, biha. That belonging unto Allah are the most beautiful names, so call him by them. Call unto him by them. So what does that mean? So I know that from Allah's names is that he is Ar-Rahim, okay, which means one who is merciful. So I say, Ya Rahim, irhamni. O Rahim, O merciful one, show me mercy. I know that among Allah's names is Al Ghafur, the one who forgives sins, you know. So I say, Ya Ghafur, Ighfirli. O one who forgives sins, forgive me. You know what I'm saying? I know that among Allah's names is a Tawab. So I say, Ya Tawab, one who means who accepts the repentance when people return to him in repentance. So I say, Ya Tawab. O Tawab, accept my repentance unto you. Tuba So, so the, the, the point is, is that belonging unto Allah, Azza wa Jal, belonging unto Allah, Azza wa Jal, are these beautiful names. Now, I want to discuss one thing which um, that the author doesn't mention, but it's important to mention, because many times brothers uh, and sisters sometimes err in this thing. We all know the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, I assume that all of us have heard of the hadith, where in Abu Huraira reports, as in Sahih Muslim, as the Prophet ﷺ said, that belonging unto Allah are 99 names. Belonging unto Allah are 99 names. Men ahsaha dakhal al-jannah. He who enumerates them all will enter into paradise. Some people, when reading this hadith, they think that only Allah has only 99 names. So that, that's incorrect. Allah has more than 99 names. Allah has, his names are innumerable, but, but among his names are 99 that if you enumerate them all, by meaning by that you memorize them all, you pray to Allah through them, you, you know, uh, um, you worship Allah through its meanings, uh, then you will enter into paradise, okay? But the fact that Allah has more than 99 names, we know this from another hadith, where the Prophet ﷺ says, Allahumma, O Allah, as'aluka, I ask you, by every single name which belongs to you. Oh Allah, I ask you by every single name which belongs to you. And then he describes the names. He says, either that name you have uh, sent down in one of your scriptures, or taught one of your creatures that name, 
or you have hidden that name in the in, in the knowledge in your knowledge unto yourself. Huh? So those names of Allah is which is which he has hidden it, huh? In the knowledge unto himself. How how could we know them? How could we know them or how many they are? You see what I'm saying? So therefore Allah's names we cannot say are only ninety nine, but of Allah's names are ninety nine, uh, whoever enumerates them all will enter into paradise. And indeed, if you look at the Quran and the Sunnah and you count the names of Allah, uh, you find that, I mean, they number 100, 300, 400, depending upon how you look at certain hadith, are they sahih or not. Yes, Brother Jim. I, 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 I couldn't hear you, I'm sorry. Oh, where is the source of that hadith? It doesn't, it doesn't come to me uh, which, which hadith book that hadith can be found in. Uh, however, I, I believe I, I would have a reference back in, in, in the room I'm staying in. So, inshallah, if I, don't, if I for, you don't forget, I'll, tomorrow I'll bring you the reference. But the hadith is authentic. The hadith is authentic. If you have that book, Hisn uh, al-Muslim, the Muslim fortification, you'll find that hadith there. Yes, brother. It, it, it could be, it could not be. I mean, but inshallah, let me check, inshallah, I'll come back. Yes, No. Okay, so the, so the brother is saying that some people cannot, you know, uh, pronounce the Arabic names of Allah, can they pronounce it in English? Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the door or the, the subject of dua open or wide that we can, we can invoke Allah in whatever language we speak. Now, to invoke Allah using the Arabic, not just the names, but also using the Arabic expressions which Allah has mentioned, like of different prayers made by the prophets and the believers in the Qur'an. Or alternatively, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, uh, the Prophet sallallahu excuse me, has, has taught us certain prayers. To, to say these prayers is always better. Because, you know, these things have been sent to us by Allah azza wa jal, whether through the Qur'an and Sunnah. So these have, have the most perfect way of evoking Allah azza wa jal. Okay. So with time, a person can memorize these. But if a person cannot, I mean, for whatever reason, and if he, can, he or she can invoke Allah in their own language, there's no harm in that, inshallah ta'ala. Unlike the prayer, which the prayer, I mean, you have to recite Surah Al-Fatiha in Arabic, and if you can't, then the Prophet taught us to say certain words, like SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, 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 in his stead. Alright, so the point is belonging to Allah's or these names, to, to invoke, and we should invoke Allah by them. And likewise, Allah has the exalted attributes. And then the author, uh, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, says something which he says, he is unceasingly characterized by all his attributes and his names. Exalted be he from having his attributes created or his names originated. So what does that mean? Well, you know, for instance, a human being, you have the attribute of knowledge, right? But when you were born, did you have the attribute of knowledge? Huh? No. I mean, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who creates you from the wombs of your mothers, huh? You know nothing when you're born. And then you learn, okay? Uh, likewise, the ability to speak. Uh, did you uh, born with the ability to speak? You gained that quality of speech, okay? So, a person who cannot speak, a person who's mute, and a, is, 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 and a person who speaks, which is considered to be the more complete and more perfect human being? Huh? The one who can speak. But yet the human being is not born with that ability. A person who has knowledge and a person who is ignorant. 
which is considered to be the more complete of the two human beings, one who has knowledge. Right? Uh, but so, but so, but so we gain, we develop our attributes of perfection as human beings. Okay. But with Allah Azawajal, the author wants to point out to us that Allah has always had these attributes of perfection. I mean, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala was the Creator even before He created anything. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is the Resurrector of dead even before the Day of Judgment. He always has these attributes of perfection. He did not gain them. Okay, so that's what the, the author is trying to say. And then the author brings us a new point, which I probably should have put as a um, new paragraph, but it happens that I made one paragraph. That Allah addressed Musa alayhi salam by his own words, which is an attribute of his essence, not one of his creatures. Okay, so here, after describing Allah azawajal, he now comes to the issue of Allah's speech, one of Allah's attributes. And in Surah Nisa, the fourth surah, ayah 164, surah 4, ayah 164, Allah tells us that he spoke to Moses directly. وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَ تَكْلِيمًا So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Lord, one of his attributes is that he speaks. He has words which are heard. His words were heard by the Prophet Musa alayhi salam. His words were heard by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam when he uh, made his mi'raj. Allah spoke to him directly without any angelic intermediary. His words are heard by the angels. And his words will be heard by every single human being on the Day of Judgment. For the Prophet ﷺ has told us that on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place the earth, you know what I'm saying, in the palm of his hands and shake it and say, I am the king, where are the kings? I am the judge. So everybody's going to take the judge. And likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told, the Prophet, excuse me, the Prophet ﷺ has told us, that on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, with every single one of us, speak directly uh, about our, uh, our uh, deeds. There will be no translator or intermediary between the two of us. So the hadith then explains that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take his believing servant and privately talk to him and say, Did you not do such and such this day? Did you not do such and such you know, this day? Did you not do such and such this day? And the believing servant will confess his sins. Yes, my Lord, yes, my Lord, yes, I did this sin, I did this sin, I did this sin. And all he will see in front of him is the hellfire. And to his right he'll see the hellfire, and to his left he'll see the hellfire. Until the point he comes when he thinks that, you know, after confessing all his sins and admitting to it, he's going to think that he's doomed to uh, enter into the hellfire. Uh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to him, just like I covered you in this world. In other words, I didn't expose your sins, you know. These were sins you did in private, you know, nobody knew about them. Like what? I'm going to cover you from your sins in the hereafter. So this is this is how. But the but the unbeliever he's publicly rebuked in front of the creation and he said this is what the Prophet said, Menuchisha, whoever is publicly judged, he will be burnt in the hellfire. You know what I'm saying? But the believers they have this private, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala privately they confess their sins now. We'll, we'll come to the judgment uh, later on. So the point is Allah addressed Musa by his words, which is one of his attributes, not one of his creatures. Likewise, Allah appeared to the mountain and the mountain became leveled due to Allah's majesty. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, Ayah 143, When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifested himself to the mountain, the mountain crumbled and Musa fell unconscious. Okay? So that shows us that this is, I mean, the point is, is that none of us can stand to see Allah Azza wa Jalla in this world. Okay? That's why the Prophet said, No, you will not see your Lord until you die. 
And this is one of the things the believers will know that the Dajjal, when the Dajjal comes, the people will believe that he is, you know, many human beings will believe that Dajjal is to be Allah and that, and that he's the Messiah, you know, as the Christians believe that they, they consider the Messiah to be the Son of God and so forth, they have divinity. So when this the Antichrist appears, the Dajjal, uh, people start following him. This is one of the signs we are able to recognize because Prophet said, none of you will see your Lord until he dies. So, I mean, if we're alive and we're seeing somebody, obviously he's not alive. So the point is, is that uh, this is just two other attributes that he has. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks and his words are heard by who he chooses from his creation. And likewise, uh, nothing can, uh, can bear seeing Allah in this world. Uh, concerning Allah speaking, there is an ayah in the Quran which refers to it and also a hadith which explains the ayah uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the hadith is in Bukhari you'll find it um, where it describes how when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in the heaven when, he, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in the heaven all the angels fall down in, 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 in prostration and, and their hearts tremble they fear and the first one to raise his head is Jibreel and Jibreel then, you know, Allah tells Jibreel his command and the other angels, you know, say, what did, you know, what did your Lord command? You know what I'm saying? And they said, they said, قَالُوا الْحَقْ He said the truth. وَهُوَ And, and, and so, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, the, the angels, when they hear Allah speak, they all fall down in prostration. Okay? That's one hadith in Bukhari which sort of gives us an example of. And likewise about seeing Allah in this world, um, likewise we find a hadith in Sahih Muslim that uh, that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Prophet describes Allah that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to remove his veil okay which veils him from being seen then uh, everything which his eyesight reaches would burn would perish which means everything Allah sees everything so we are unable to withstand uh, the seeing of our Lord in this world now but however in the, in the hereafter as, as, we, as we will come to see in a later um, Paragraph, we, the believers will see Allah and the disbelievers will not enjoy that blessing. So, we have some discussion questions here. Uh, are Allah's names and attributes eternal or do, are they originated? They have a, are they created? And the answer is what? They're eternal. I mean, Allah has always been described with these, these perfections. He didn't gain them. Uh, does Allah literally speak? Yes, Allah literally speaks with a voice which is heard by his creatures, those who he chooses. Allah speaks when he wants, to whom he wills. Whenever he, 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 whatever he wishes, uh, can we see or can anything see standing Allah uh, see stand to see Allah in this world? No, right? Because if this is the mountain when when Musa asked Allah to see him, right? Uh, Allah said you cannot. But he said, look at the Jebel and if the mountain uh, can withstand you know my manifesting to to it, then you will be able to see me. So when Allah manifested Himself. Just a little bit to the, to the mountain. The mountain crumbled and Musa fell unconscious. Yes, brother? Yeah. He removed his veil so that, that, that the mountain could perceive him. Uh, the only created thing that ever saw Allah. This is the only thing that we, that we, that we know of that has, has, uh, that has been reported. That I know, at least I can think of an evidence or something. But I don't think, I mean, but the mountain doesn't see. I mean, the mountain doesn't, you know, I mean, have eyes in that sense, you know what I'm saying? So. Huh? No, Allah manifests Himself before the mountain, so the mountain, the mountain collapses. You know what I'm saying, not that the mountain sees or so forth, not be fitting on. These mountains don't see; they don't have eyes. Right?
Oh yes, but I completely forgot what this question is talking about. So, I mean, the hadith refers to uh, when when a, a Jew uh, said something and, and then the Muslim and the Jew argued as to who was better, the, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or Musa So the Jew said something to the Muslim, uh, you know, got angry and he slapped the Jew, uh, as you mentioned, or, or, or something to that effect. Um, and then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam rebuked the Muslim and said huh, that, in other words, do not, you know, put me above Musa Alayhi Salaam because when we raise the Day of Judgment, I will find him hanging to the leg of one of, one of the, the legs of Allah's throne, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know if he, he was raised uh, before me. So, so the point here is that, first of all, the Prophet is the best of the creation, as he has said, that he is the best of the children of Adam, and there's no um, uh, uh, praise in, in, that saying, in saying that. But when somebody uh, puts the Prophet forward over one of his brethren prophets, in a way which is disparaging the other prophet, you see what I'm saying? Then the Prophet condemns that. You see what I'm saying? If it's just a matter of fact, yes, but if you do it in a way which is disparaging the other prophet's life, this is, this is a sin, you see what I'm saying? This is why the Prophet rebuked that Muslim, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but the point is, is that, um, understanding the hadith, that uh, because Musa, alayhi salam, has already experienced, you know what I'm saying, this thing once, so it is said that when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes in the day of judgment to judge the creatures, creation, you know, he's quicker to rise, you know what I'm saying, because he's already experienced the effect of, you know, of being knocked out, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. But, but, the other, but there's another hadith which the Prophet clearly states that he is the first human being who the grave will open up for. So even the Prophet said this, I mean, another hadith he, he clarified, it will, it's, he's the first one. The Prophet will find Musa clinging on to. This also shows us that how, how the desire to, the fact that he's clinging onto Allah's throne, how his, you know, how his, you know, you, know, you, you cling onto something when, when do you cling on something, you know? Not when, not when you love it, but also when you're afraid uh, to save you, yeah. Like you cling onto a plank in the ocean, you know what I'm saying? So this is the same thing, which is cling onto Allah's throne to save you. So this shows how the prophets are, uh, will be on the day of judgment, fear of Allah, so and so forth. Yeah, Uh, the believers will see Allah Azza wa Jalla, as, as we'll come to discuss in a, in a, in a later paragraph, uh, while they're at the stand, okay, and also after the entrance to paradise. Okay, so, the shuhada are the martyrs are not question. This is one of the blessings of dying as a martyr. Now. No, no, no. I mean, the, the death just might, you know, cancel them getting the benefit. You know, what I'm saying this, this benefit. So. Let's, let's try to continue forward because we still have I still want to do the next three, four paragraphs and um, to call Allah as God okay so the point is when you use non-Arabic terms to describe Allah you have to see the meaning if the meaning is Valid, then it's permissible in, in some circumstances. But it, but if it's not valid, then 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 it is uh, impermissible to refer to a wise which like that. So when you say God here, I mean the word God in the English language can have different connotations to its meaning. It can mean God by the God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. This is okay. It can mean God means the one who is worshipped. So here it could be somebody true or false. So if you have to say an adjective like the true God, you see what I'm saying? And so, and such, certainly, yeah. 
Do you think more like that? Yeah. Um, it, it, I, mean, I mean, whether the, the, the origin of the word God is, you know, is in the Arabic language or in another language, Allah knows best. I'm not, you know, um, knowledgeable of this thing. But, I mean, the point is, is that the principle is that when we describe Allah, when we use a name which is not from the Arabic language, like Khuda, huh? or, or God, you know, so that if the meaning is sound, it's permissible to use this under some circumstances. If the meaning is false, then it's not permissible under any circumstances. Allah is one of His names, and it is. I mean, I mean, it is the, the equivalent to it in the English language is God, but it's not exactly the same because the word Allah means Al Ilah, the true Ilah, the one who truly. Uh, deserves to be worshipped, you know what I'm saying? So it has a meaning which is much, much more wider and broader than uh, than the um, the English term God, you know what I'm saying? Which, because in English when we say God, it doesn't necessarily mean the true one who is worshipped. It's really true or false God. You know no. They won't be spoken to. No, they won't be. They're just taken to the hellfire. But some of them are rebuked publicly and these are the ones who are severely punished now. So let us, let us get out come to the next paragraph, if, if I may, so we can... Because uh, we really want to finish this, and we have about a little bit uh, over an hour left. So then the, the author uh, mentions, he says, The Qur'an is the speech of Allah. It is not a created thing so as to perish, nor the attribute of a created thing so as to cease. So anyway, I mean, this sort of fo- follows from what we had discussed before, uh, that the Qur'an is Allah's words... Um, so the, the Qur'an is Allah's literal words Allah literally spoke it It's not just the meanings That are Allah's words But it's the, also the words itself Allah spoke it And the angel Jibreel Alayhi salam heard it And then conveyed it to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke the Qur'an It's his literal words So I think that, that is uh, you know, very um, clear Now one of the discussion questions we have over there, do Allah's words cease at any time? And in fact, there are two verses in the Quran which we can refer to. Uh, one is from Surah Al-Quman, Surah 31, Ayah 87. Surah 31, Ayah 87. And the second is Surah 18, Ayah uh, 109. Surah Al-Kahf, Surah 18, Ayah 109. Uh, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qul, say to them, uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi that if the sea was ink for the words of my Lord, huh, the, the, the seas would, would run out of ink huh, before uh, the, the, um, the words of my Lord would run out, uh, even if we would have come with it more ink you know, equivalent to that. So it means that Allah's words are not just restricted to the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words are so many. His speech, you know, saying what he, he says, that that even if we were to imagine all the inks were, huh, all the oceans were ink, we still couldn't write all the words of Allah. Like that. And the way you can understand that is because every single time Allah decrees something, He, he says, He brings it into existence. His affair is, you know, if He decrees something, is He says, kun, be, and it is. So all this around us, and so like this. So such Allah's words cannot be enumerated and so forth. His, his words are so many and so many and so many that you can't even enumerate them all. But from his words are the Qur'an. From his words are the Qur'an. 
which is Allah's final scripture, which we must believe in and follow and recite and memorize and learn and live our lives by. And it is the guide for us which will take us to paradise. He who, who, who neglects the Quran, you know, is going to leave himself into destruction. Yes, I think I saw some hands. I, I thought I saw no, Maybe not. Okay. So how do we feel about this, this topic about Allah's speech? Do we feel comfortable about the, the correct belief in it? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with a voice it was heard by the angel Jibreel. He conveyed it to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam then conveyed it to us that from his words are the Quran, right? And Allah has other words too. Among his words was the Bible, the, the Torah, right? The Torah, the Injil. But this was later perverted by the people, so it's no longer the truth. Yes, brother. Yeah. Yes. Right, the meaning of it is hidden unto Allah. But the alif, lam, mean, the words, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke those three letters. Alif, lam, mean, it starts at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, for instance, the second surah. But, but the meaning of it, what, what it means, or what it's referring to, this is something which the Prophet did not explain to, so something hidden from us in knowledge. Well, the, I mean, the scholars have discussed that. That the, the purpose is is that it shows um, it, it's part of the, the miraculous nature of the Quran, in the sense that uh, those three letters—they're not words; they're letters. You know, what I'm saying they're detached letters. Um, that they are part of the Arabic language. You know, what I'm saying from which the Quran is composed. Okay, and so that the Arabs, you know, what I'm saying were here. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for in English? But, you know, taken aback, you know what I'm saying, uh, by, by these three letters, you know what I'm saying, in the sense that, you know, it, it drew their attention and it's part of the, 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 the gloriness of the Qur'an and, and so forth. It has a meaning. Also, um, some of the ulama have, have, have tried to derive meanings from it. So, uh, for instance, like uh, Alif Lam Ra, which is another series of three detached letters. Uh, some of the ulama, like Ibn Abbas, the Prophet's companion, has said that it refers to Anallahu uh, Ara. I am Allah who sees. I am Allah who sees. Okay. Alif uh, uh, they, they say Alif uh, refers to Allah. Lam to Jibreel. Mim to Muhammad. That's interesting. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no certitude of evidence of that. Here. Because the Prophet didn't give us that sort of thing. So some scholars have tried to, by looking at, tried to have, you know, derived interpretations. Yes. Right. Mm. Right. Well, I mean, there's one thing where if you find a Prophet's companion like Ibn Abbas, who offer an interpretation for it, and there's one thing where you find somebody who you know, tries to just come up with something of his own accord. I mean, there's a big difference, you know, from one of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu who might have learned this from the Prophet Sallallahu you know what I'm saying, or understood something from the Prophet Sallallahu as opposed to somebody who just came from his own accord, you know, and has no basis to it. It's because the whole idea about people putting numbers to it is the argument that these, that these Arabic letters have a numerical value. And then, so therefore, if they say that Alaf means a thousand, then La means whatever, Mi means whatever, right? I don't seem to recollect now. 
The point is, is that, uh, that this numerical value, let's say it's 1,350. Okay. So what does this 1,350 mean in, in, in the numbers? I mean, you know, they, then they can interpret it in any which way. You know what I'm saying? Maybe before the year 1350, they would say that the length of the Ummah is only 1350 years. Okay. And now we're in 1421, so we have to figure something else from, you know, for 1350. So the point is, is that they have to come in. And, and the, I think the best example is Rashad Khalifa. You know what I'm saying? Who, who said that the Quran was based upon this miraculous number 19? You know what I'm saying? Uh, who, in the end, you know what I'm saying? Uh, even though the uh, Bismillah Rahman Rahim consists of 21 letters, you know, he tried to say it consists of 19. Um, but even in the end, even if we were to say that the number 19 is what, when, when, he, when, he, when he, he sometimes like would add a couple numbers in order to make it, you know, like a multiple of 19, sometimes subtract a few letters. You know, he was forced to deny a couple of verses because messed up the numbering system. So the, the point is this is obviously something, you know, which you can tell is leading into falsehood. The, the best thing to do is, is as the brother, you know, acknowledged and mentioned that, that, you know, this is something which the Prophet ﷺ has not offered for us knowledge, you know, as to what its meaning is. It has a wisdom which is with Allah Azza wa Jal, you know what I'm saying? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has, the Prophet ﷺ has told us that when, the Prophet ﷺ said that for every single letter you recited the Qur'an, you receive ten rewards. I do not say alif, lam, mim is a single letter, but alif is a letter, lam is a letter, and mim is a letter. So some And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
the Prophet has told us that when the Prophet said that for every single letter you recited the Quran, you receive ten rewards. I do not say Alif Lam Mim is a single letter, but Alif is a letter, Lam is a letter, and Mim is a letter. So sometimes it, it might be just, I mean, the wisdom in it could just be for the mere fact that it's just a test to see the servants if they're going to try to interpret something which they have no knowledge of, to see those who, you know, and, and so, or it could have something else like Ibn Abbas, it's a tribute to him that he said, for instance, Alif Lam Ra means, and Allahu Ara, I am Allah who sees. Yeah. So, so let us now, um, uh, if we feel comfortable with that paragraph, let us now come to uh, paragraph number six. Um, and paragraph six, paragraph six, seven, and part of eight deal with the subject of Qadr. So, in paragraphs one through four, we talked about Allah Azawajah. Okay? And at the end of paragraph four, we talked about Allah's speech. And then in paragraph five, we talked about the Quran. So you see, when we finish talking about Allah's speech, we start to talk about an example of Allah's speech, which is the Qur'an. And now we're going to come to talk about Allah's Qadr, Allah's decree. So what I'd like to do first is I'd like to explain Qadr to the brothers and sisters, and then read the paragraphs. Because I think if I explain it first, uh, then we will not have any misinterpretations regarding uh, the topic, inshallah. Um, so Qadr, my brothers, it means, the sisters, it means to measure something, okay? The measure of something. And belief in Qadr is one of the pillars of Islam. As the Prophet ﷺ did a pillar of iman, excuse me. As the Prophet ﷺ said uh, when he was asked uh, by Jibreel in the hadith, what is iman? The Prophet ﷺ replied, it is to believe in Allah and his angels and his scriptures and his messengers in the last day. And then he said, and to believe in qadr, it's good and it's evil. So the fact that the Prophet ﷺ repeated the word and to believe, it indicates that it is uh, to emphasize the importance of belief in Qadr. And likewise, uh, the, some of the Prophet's companions have told us uh, that he who does not believe in Qadr, Allah will burn him in the hellfire. He who does not believe in Qadr, Allah will burn him in the hellfire. So what is belief in Qadr? What, how do we understand this? Well, Qadr, belief in Qadr consists of believing in four matters. It's very easy to understand belief in Qadr because it believes in four matters. The first matter is to believe in Allah's all-encompassing knowledge. Okay? Allah's all-encompassing knowledge. Well, what does that mean? Uh, Allah's all-encompassing knowledge. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything. Nothing is hidden from his knowledge, azawajah. Nothing is hidden from his knowledge, Allah's knowledge, azawajah. He knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He even knows what has not happened, were it to happen, how it would have happened. Like, for instance, us, you know, we came today. What would have happened to us had we not shown up today? What would have happened to us had I decided not to come to Australia? Huh? Well, what would have occurred in our lives? Okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything. And I think we, we discussed in an earlier paragraph, we, we gave a lot of, you know, not even a single leaf falls on the ground. that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows something. He knows our inner thoughts. There's nothing, the whispering of our own souls. Nothing is hidden from Allah. That's the first thing. Allah's all-encompassing knowledge. What's the second matter of belief in Qadr? The second matter is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written... All that will occur uh, until the Day of Judgment in the preserved tablet. And we talked about that, right? We talked about the first thing, among the first thing that Allah has created was the pen. Allah told the pen to write. The pen said what to write. Everything which will occur until the Day of Judgment. So this is something you know, which we have, and also the verses in the Quran which refer to, in nafidhalika or in kitab, that is in a book. Uh, that refers to this, this preserved uh, tablet. Now. 
Uh, the third uh, matter of I believe in the Qadr is Allah's all-encompassing will. Whatever Allah wills is and whatever He does not will is not. Nothing can occur in the heavens and the earth except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have willed it to occur. Now we, cannot, we should not believe like those people who believe, like the Christians and so forth, like that there's a battle between good and evil. You know? Sometimes evil is victorious, sometimes good is victorious. No, this is not this is not how it is. Everything in the heavens and the earth, if it occurs, because Allah has willed it. Nothing escapes. It's, he has complete sovereignty over the heavens and the earth. Nothing occurs except for his will. He allows it. Yes, he might hate it. He might be displeased with it. He might punish the people for doing it, but they didn't do it and he's incapable of stopping them. But he's he it has occurred and he has willed it to exist. Had he not willed it, it would have not occur. And the fourth aspect of belief in Qadr, my brothers and sisters, is that Allah has created everything. Allah has created everything. Allah has created us as human beings. Okay? Allah has created our attributes, our qualities. Some of us are tall, some of us are short. Uh, some of us are fair in complexion, some of us are dark in complexion. Right? Some of us are gentle. Some of us are very tough. You know? uh, uh, some of us are, are quick to, uh, to, to come to one's emotions. Some of us are very intellectual and they're not affected very quickly. So, you know, our qualities, whether physical or our inner qualities, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created that, right? And likewise, Allah has created our deeds, our actions. What, what does it mean when we say that Allah has created our actions? What, what is the meaning of that? Well, whenever you want to do an action, any sort of action, you need to have two qualities. You need to have an ability to do that action, and you need to have the desire to do that action. Who is the one that gave you the ability to choose, that desire? You know, to choose to do one action as opposed to another. And unlike animals who, who just follow their instincts, huh? Allah. And who gives you the ability to perform and fulfill that action? Allah. So therefore, if Allah gave you because He created that, then the effect that comes forth from it is also created. So the point is belief in Qadr, then therefore, is to believe in these four matters. Where the first one is what? Huh? Allah's in- all-encompassing knowledge. Okay, the second one is? That, ev- that everything which will occur until the Day of Judgment is in the preserved tablet. Okay. The third matter is all-encompassing will. Whatever Allah wills is, and whatever He does not will is not. The fourth matter is Allah has created everything. He created us, our qualities, and also our deeds, our actions, as, as I explained, in the sense that He has given us the ability to choose, and He's given us the ability to perform the action. And so since He created that in us, then therefore what proceeds from that is also created. Okay. Now, now let's read the paragraph after that quick uh, summation. Now let's read that paragraph. So the author, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, says there must be faith or belief in Allah's qadr, predetermination. Both the good and evil consequences of it, both the sweet and, beast, uh, sweet and bitter taste of it. What, what does that mean, you know, good and evil, uh, sweet and bitter? Well, when Allah decrees something, when it first comes to you, it might be what they call sweet or bitter. In the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees for you, and may Allah preserve us from this, Allah decrees from you some horrible illness like cancer. So it's a bitter decree. But its outcome might be good because maybe your patience for having cancer removes a certain sin that you did, which would have been the cause for you entering the hellfire. 
So sweet and bitter is how you first, you know, saying how you first are affected by the decree. Good and evil is the consequence of that decree. Let's do the opposite. You might have a decree given to you which is sweet. Uh, you just come across, you know what I'm saying, $100,000. Okay? Whatever it means, you know what I'm saying, a halal means, a non-halal means, the point is you have, you know, something, $100,000, you inherit it or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, um, that's something sweet, right? The person's happy. Oh, why shall I have $100,000? But the consequences of that could be evil. Because instead of taking, huh, the $100,000 and, for instance, go making hajj or making umrah or uh, giving charity or, you know, doing something for the path of Allah, so you say, okay, let me go and uh, go enjoy myself, you know what I'm saying? So you fly off to a slot machine, huh? Okay, you fly off to uh, Las Vegas in, the, in Nevada, you know what I'm saying? You say, let me go have, enjoy myself, you know. So, so, here, so here, this is something which the taste of it, of the Qadr, was what? Sweet, but the outcome is evil. Okay, so here is the, 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 the author, Ibn Zayd al-Qayrawani, said, so we must believe in Allah's Qadr, what Allah has decreed. Uh, both the good and evil consequences of that, that has come decree, and likewise the sweet and bitter taste when, when it first comes to us. So that's how we believe in the Qadr. Everything is decreed by Allah. Nothing escapes, nothing occurs unless Allah has decreed it. Okay. And that's why he says all of that has been predetermined by our Lord Allah. The determinations or measures of things are in his hand, and they have their source in his decree. In other words, everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala predetermines or measures is from Allah's decree. So and so lives for just two hours. You know what I'm saying? The child's born and then dies. So and so lives for a hundred years. This is all Allah's decree. There's a wisdom behind it. Nothing that Allah does or commands except there's a perfect wisdom behind it. So and so lives and, and, and has so much money, he can't even count it. So and so never, you know what I'm saying, sees in their lifetime $100. This is all from the decree of Allah. Uh, so and so has so much health, so and so has so much uh, illness, you know. So and so has so much beauty in their creation, so and so doesn't have beauty in their creation. So this is all, you know, from Allah's decree, um, you know, good or evil, bitter or sweet. Uh, the measures of all things, and as we said from the hadith, right, that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the measures of all things, huh, before he created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. So that's why a person should not feel, you know what I'm saying, any remorse for something decreed for him. I mean, it was decreed for him, right, before he was, you know, created, in fact, before the heavens and the earth were, you know, created by 50,000 years. And it's for a wisdom and there is some... Yes, just for yeah. That Allah has blessed him, yes. That Allah has chosen him, not necessarily. If he, he, he spends his wealth, right, in, in, in what is good, as the Prophet said, there can be no jealousy, except in two matters. And here jealousy doesn't mean the jealousy like the envy where you want that blessing because what is forbidden in when you're envious is you want that blessing to be removed from that person and then him not to have the blessing and you only have that blessing okay but this is called al-ghippa it means that you want that person to continue to having that blessing but you wish also to have that blessing okay? so the Prophet said there should be none of this except in two matters a man who has been given the Quran in the sense that he has memorized the Quran he has a beautiful recitation so he reads it during night and day 
So, you know, we put these, you know, tapes of these readers of the Quran, you know what I'm saying, like Sheikh Sudais, you know what I'm saying, or Sheikh Shurayn, you know what I'm saying. It's okay to feel ghatta, saying, oh, I wish, you know what I'm saying, Allah gave me the ability to memorize the Quran and to have this type of beautiful, you know, recitation so I can recite it during night and day. Okay, like that. And a second thing is a man who's been given much wealth, and he spends it in, 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 in the path of Allah, in Allah's pleasure, you know what I'm saying. So you see a person, you know what I'm saying, he, you know, he has a million dollars and he says, okay, he goes to, says, okay, where are those refugees in Chechnya? You know what I'm saying, let me make sure that each one of them has food and clothing and, you know, and, and so forth like that. Here, take ten million dollars. So it's okay to say, oh, Allah, I wish to be like him. Not in the sense that the blessing is stripped from him, but that. Now, going back to your question about that matter, the best way to see this is the example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave of Qarun in the Quran. And when he came out, you know, that Qarun was from the people of Musa, you know what I'm saying? But however, he transgressed against them. When he came out in his beauty and his pomp and so forth, the people said, Oh, Qarun, he's a very lucky, fortunate individual. Huh? The people of knowledge said, Whoa, you know, to you, you know what I'm saying? That the hereafter is better. You know what I'm saying? And then what happens to Qarun? The earth and everything swallows him up. So, so the point is, my brothers, is that uh, the determination of things are in his hand and they have their source in his decree. He knew everything before it came to be and it proceeds according to his predetermination, his qadr, right? So before anything occurs, Allah knew of it. He wrote in the preserved tablet. Huh? He willed it into existence and then he created it. Everything is like that. There is nothing except for like that. Now, here is something where people sometimes err. They, they make a mistake in understanding it. Just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote it in the preserved tablet doesn't mean that He compelled you to do it. Doesn't mean that He compelled you to do it. But because Allah knows what will occur before it occurs, so He wrote it. But it doesn't mean that He has forced you to do that evil deed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written in the preserved tablet that so-and-so is going to kill so-and-so. Allah knew that he was that this person would kill so and so. Allah knew that that um, that uh, this person, for instance, would be, uh, be uh, cause this evil before he causes it. He wrote in the preserved tablet. When it occurred, Allah willed it to exist, and He created him in that act, that person's act. But He didn't compel that person. That person out of his own free choice. Did it. So that's why you understand, for instance, I'll come to you now, brother, uh, in, in Surah Al-Kahf. When you know Musa and Al Khidr, right? And uh, you know Musa is walking with Al Khidr, and Khidr sees the boy, huh? And just twists his head like the Hadith says, like a chicken is twisted the head off. So Musa is shocked. You know, how could you kill? You know this. Uh, you know, that's Zakiyah. He's a pure soul. Hasn't done anything. You know, it hasn't done any sin. Doesn't, hasn't done anything to 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 stain it that would result for it to be to be killed. It didn't cause murder or anything like that. So uh, Al-Khidr replies that, you know, that Allah taught him that this, you know, that this child would grow up to be a kafir and would be overbearing upon his parents. So Allah wanted to show mercy to his parents and to replace the child with a better child. So decreed that, commanded Al-Khidr to kill the child. His brother. No, fighting the Qadr with the Qadr. Right. Okay, what does it mean by fighting Qadr with Qadr? That, that's what our religion is based upon. I mean, um, I'm ill, for instance. I have a, an illness, okay? 
let's say something simple like a headache. Who decreed that I have a headache? Allah is working, right? Who decreed that in this compound called salicylic acid or aspirin, right, that there is a cure for headaches? Allah is working. I take one qadr and I use it to push off another qadr. Okay? And, and so, and that's why the, the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if somebody understands this dua, we talked about a little bit earlier today, one sentence of the dua where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, he used to say in Witter, Allahumma la, uh, no, the, 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 Allahumma inni a'udhu biridhaka min sakhatika. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in your pleasure from your anger. Wabika mink, and I seek refuge in you from you. That's fighting Qadr from Qadr. So we, as the brother read last night, the ayat from Surah Dhariyat, ayat from Surah 51. Fathirru in Allah, flee unto Allah. Flee unto Allah from whom? From Allah. There is no escape, but, but you, you flee from his anger to his pleasure. You know, you, and that's why we say, that's why the Prophet ﷺ taught us to say, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from you. Yeah, yes, brother. So any dua, if the dua is done sincerely and so forth, they can, can reverse the decree. Any dua. Uh, also about uh, fighting Qadr with Qadr. Now the world is filled with corruption. Would you not agree? I mean, you know, I mean, it's something which any human being, I mean, let alone the Muslim, if you, if you contemplate the affairs of the world and you have any sort of sense of decency, you would, I mean, just, you know, I mean, just be, you know, I mean, brought to great rage. I mean, millions of human beings, you know, I mean, you know, die out of starvation. For what reason? And the food has so much world. Much oppression upon the world, you know what I'm saying? Huh? I know, I know the reasoning why, but I'm saying, but I mean, but I mean, what I mean, you know, I'm saying, how could you know, like this, you know, we, we could see in front of us all this oppression that's being done in the world. I mean, even in a city, I imagine, like a city in, in Melbourne. I don't know if you have, you have homeless people. I mean, you know, how, how can somebody, you know, what I'm saying, you know, I mean, a group of human beings see another human being, you know, sleep in the street, you know, what I'm saying, in like this situation, or people, for instance, you know, children are abused, you know, by their parents, women are beaten by their husbands, all these sorts of, you know. Uh, people are, you know, peddling drugs and, and, you know, making whole generations, you know what I'm saying, addicted. I mean, all these forms of corruption and injustice, you know what I'm saying? Any heart, you know, that has life in it, you know, let alone the Muslim's heart, would have to be stirred by this, this events, right? Did not Allah decree this? Okay. We fight this decree of Allah with Allah's decree by spreading Islam, teaching the people, enlightening them, commanding good and forbidding evil, if necessary, jihad in the path of Allah. I hope that clarifies it. Also. So, the point is is that uh, everything has been measured by Allah, which has been decreed by Allah, and He knew everything before it came to be, and it proceeded according to His, his qadr. So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for instance, I'm going to pick another Australian brother. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because when I come to Khadr, brothers know in America to say absolutely still, not to move so I don't. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that the brother was going to scratch his head, huh? uh, and uh, this is written in the preserved tablet before he created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. And the description is exact in the preserved tablet. And when it occurs in life, you know what I'm saying, when the brother actually scratches, it occurs exactly to what's in the preserved tablet. Exactly. 
Nothing is, is, is not there. I mean, do you see how great Allah's knowledge is? You know what I'm saying? How, how, how great Allah's knowledge is, is that how it encompasses all things. So the preserved tablet has every single thing. I mean, I mean even, even the raindrop, that this rain is going to drop from this cloud, and how that raindrop is formed, and how it falls, and the speed it falls, and, the, you know, and, and how what it, what it travels through until it hits that spot on the ground. And then the splash that occurs when it hits. And the effects that occur, the little ripple in the sands, all of that is in the preserved tablet. I mean, even to this type of minute details. Everything is in the preserved tablet. And when it occurs, in existence, it occurs exactly as the preserved tablet is. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed this before he created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. So, that's what the author is trying to point to. So therefore, that's why he said, and it precedes according to his determination, his qadr. Uh, there is neither a word nor an act that proceeds from a human being, but he has decreed it and foreknown it. So neither a single word we say, neither a single deed we do, or refraining from doing the deed, holding back, restraining ourselves, except that Allah knew it before, and he decreed it before we said it, we, we, we did it, and so forth. Everything is by Allah's qadr. And that's why when somebody believes in Allah's Qadr, as the Sahaba did, that's why they, they did not fear anything. You see what I'm saying? Because if you know that nothing is going to strike you unless Allah decreed that for you, and you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala huh, decreed all these measures before He created the heavens of the 50,000 years, right? Then why should you stand in front of the most tyrannical person, you know what I'm saying, and say to him, you're a tyrant. Why, why would you fear because you know that nothing is going to happen to you unless Allah decreed it for you. So when the Sahaba understood Qadr, it propelled them to action. It didn't, like Muslims now, they, they hear about this Qadr, Allah knows everything, so they, because they don't have the correct iman, the correct belief, they, they, it propels them to laziness. They say, well, if Allah decreed everything, I might as well just sit at home, you know what I'm saying, and just wait for what happens and just see. No. It propelled the Sahaba to action. And they, and, they, and they therefore, you know, uh, faced these matters and uh, tried to, um, you know, change their circumstances now. And then, Allah, then the author, he mentions this ayah from Surah Al-Mulk. Um, let me find, I think Surah Al-Mulk is... Try to find the number of Surah Al-Mulk. No, I'm 67. So, uh, he, he mentions this ayah... Um, uh, from Surah Al-Mulk, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, does he not know uh, what he has created? And he is a latif al-khabir, uh, that he is um, well informed uh, of, his, of his creatures, uh, gentle in, in dealing and merciful in dealing with them. Uh, this ayah is uh, from Surah Al-Mulk. Let me give you the ayah number. Uh, it's ayah number 14. Okay. So uh, Surah 67, Ayah 14, is that last sentence. And so that's the first paragraph about Qadr. So the discussion questions is, what does faith in Allah's Qadr mean? He said it means those four things, right? Remember Allah's knowledge, that He's written everything in the preserved tablet, uh, that whatever He wills is, whatever He does not will is not, and that, huh, He's created everything, Okay. What is its ruling? It's required to live in Qadr. As the Prophet said, he explained Iman, right? He mentioned that there's those six matters. 
discuss the levels of we, we discussed them just now. Uh, what is the ruling regarding someone who denies one of the levels of Allah's Qadr? Uh, he can become an unbeliever to deny one of these levels of Allah's Qadr. Especially if he denies he is an unbeliever. Especially if he denies level one concerning Allah's knowledge. Uh, denying uh, levels two, three, and four depends here. But level one, because the evidence is about Allah knowing everything is so numerous in the Quran that, that nobody has an excuse not to it. So for level one and level two, this is typically kufr, you know what I'm saying? Uh, levels, uh, level one especially. Uh, the other levels, depending upon how much knowledge and the circumstances, he, he may or may not be an unbeliever. Uh, does anything occur without Allah's Ta'ala's permission and decree? No. Everything in the heavens and the earth is by his permission and decree. Um, now. Okay. No, Al-Latif means like Al-Rahim. It means like the merciful. Yeah, that's what it means. And I know they translate this subtle, but it means it means like the merciful. You know. You know. You know. No, but I, I don't know. I don't know what special. I mean, when they when they say, when they translate the subtle, what they're trying to apply. But I mean, in the Arabic, the word Al-Latif is similar to the word Al-Rahim. It means one who is merciful. You know, gentle, kind. You know, this this something. Okay, now, now we come uh, to uh, paragraph 7. Yeah, we can maybe finish paragraph 7. And eight and five, five. Uh, paragraph 7 is an extension of our discussion about Qadr. And so therefore, you know, if we talked about Allah's Qadr, how he has decreed everything and so forth, now we want to come to the issue regarding uh, the Qadr of, uh, in, with regards to uh, human beings, you know, especially regarding the issue of guidance and misguidance, being astray. How does that affect here? So we said if Allah decrees everything, okay, and everything has been decreed by Allah, okay, some people are guided, some people are misguided. So how do we understand the relationship of this? So the author explains. He says that, Ibn Ibn Zayd al-Qayrawani, rahmatullahi says, with his justice, Adil Allah leads astray whom he wills and abandons him. And with his grace, he guides whom he wills and assists him. Okay, what does that mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just does not show any injustice to his creatures. And as we'll see in the next paragraph, that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent messengers to warn human beings and give them glad tidings. When a person selects a path of going astray, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then, um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends warnings to that human being. He doesn't just immediately cut him off. Uh, the greatest warning that a human being has is his own conscience inside himself. That, you know, even, 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 the, um, even the person who causes, I mean, the non-believer, uh, the, 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 the kafir, the Christian, or the Jew, or the Buddhist, the Hindu, you know, they recognize by their, it's part of that fitrah in them that when they commit some sort of thing, he is, they recognize it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? So the murderer who murders for the first time, he can't sleep at night, maybe. You know what I'm saying? He killed somebody. You know, it bothers him. You know what I'm saying? That's why some people go and turn themselves in because it just bothers they, they want to clear themselves you know what I'm saying the, the, the guilt they have so that's part of the warning to him and of course the warnings of the message that he like, remains on earth you know what I'm saying whether it's the true message which has been uncorrupted 
the message of Islam forbidding the taking of life, or it's one of these messages which part has been corrupted, but still part of the truth has remained. Like the, the message of, uh, that uh, exists amongst the Jews and Christians, that to murder, to kill, is something wrong. That's also there, that he might have come across and hurt. That's another word. But then when a person continues upon this path and neglects it, eventually he finds no uh, shame or no uh, remorse in murder. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then abandons him. And, and Allah has done this to him justly because after all these warnings and so forth, and this message reaching him, he then has chosen his path, so Allah abandons him to his ears and allows him to increase in sin. So then you come to a person, you know, he's killed 13 people, and you know, they bring him to court and he says, So what? I killed 13, I'll kill 14, I'll kill 15. It makes no difference to me. You know so this heart has now become sealed. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his justice, leads astray whom he wills and abandons them to their own recourse. And likewise, in his grace, he guides whom he wills and assists him in doing more good and increasing in guidance. And that's why from the, sometimes the reward of a good deed is that Allah assists you to do another good deed. I mean, to come and learn is a good deed, to learn one's deed, right? So Allah assisted us, we came here to learn, Allah assisted us by making it easy for us to do other good deeds. We prayed in Jama'ah. Had we been by ourselves, maybe we'd have you know, neglected our prayers, you know what I'm saying? Prayed it later, prayed it by ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Uh, likewise, Allah assisted us to do good deeds. We say, every, oh, assalamu alaikum, that's 10 rewards. You say, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, that's 20. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, that's 30. You know what I'm saying? You ask somebody, how are you? You know what I'm saying? So this is all in these good deeds that Allah assists you from doing. You know what I'm saying? You come out and you feel you know, full of iman and you know, vigorous with your iman. And so therefore you do more good deeds. You know what I'm saying? So you know, this is all you know, Allah assisting you to do good deeds. And likewise, sometimes the punishment... 